All right, you're back in the DFSR on the Overtime Media Network, broadcasting live from the Vivid Seats Lounge. I'm Doug Norrie. That is James Davis. And we are here breaking down a week two that was in the NFL. We're going to do some previewing of week three. We'll go through some FanDuel and DraftKings lineups that we had this week in cash, kind of see what went well, see where, you know, we, there was some frustration. Uh, overall, it was, it was a good week, but um, I do want to break down some of the, like our decision-making process going into the week. Buddy, but first, I have a name question for you. Um, okay, so I don't know if I ever talked about this in the podcast, but I originally wanted to name my first kid Aaron, spelled E-I-R-R-O-N, because... Yeah, of well, you know, of course, because that was going to be a palindrome with my last name, N-O-R-R-I-E. So something like Aaron Otto Nori or Aaron Racecar Nori would have been a full palindrome. Uh, very excited. Wife vetoed that pretty hardcore, so we never got there on that name. Now, we have another interesting naming situation with my buddy Bake, and he listens to the podcast. So his son is named Penn, P-E-N-N. He's having a daughter. Our buddy Pack suggested that they name her Gwen. Do you get why that would be a good name? Say it quick. Because it rhymes? <laughs> no, because it would be penguin. Oh, penguin. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty good. <laughs> so are we getting a – like, is that a situation where it's, like, too silly and they shouldn't do it? Or it would just take some people a little while to figure out and then it would be, like, a nice laugh once you figure it out? Like, where do you land on, on what could be, like, a silly name like that? I think it's – I feel like it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that's going to go missed. But what are, your, what are your thoughts on penguin as a combination son and daughter? I I mean, Gwen is kind of a nice name on its own, so I feel like it holds up. It's not like you're one of these people naming your kids like winner and loser or something like that that you see oh, about on TV. Idea. So, yeah, like that well, that, that happened. You should Google it. Um, yeah, I think you can get away with that. There's there's other names you could go with, too, like Sil, like Sylvia, you know? So now you're Pencil. Um, yeah, there's a lot of different potential avenues. But it, it seems like one way or the other, once you've already named one of your kids Pen, you're you're just fair game to go forward right Penn is already like sort of an unusual name well his uh, name is so. big so i think they had some they had some collateral okay, so we're gonna move on. So you're yeah. you're playing with you're playing with house money so I, I say go for it all right so there you go big name your kid penguin nice job back okay week two in the nfl the theme was everyone gets hurt um the the nfl was already known for every single guy getting their brains beat in and just no one be able to make it through the season it seems like Week two, or really this whole season, was just kind of, feels like a theme is bad season to start off being a quarterback for an NFL team. So you get luck retiring to start the season. I know that happened before uh, the season started. Then Nick Foles goes down in week one. Sam Darnold gets mono. <laughs> I just can't say that without laughing because I feel like I'm in freshman year of high school. Uh, and then his backup, Trevor Simeon, gets hurt almost immediately uh, in the Jets-Cleveland game. Big Ben goes down for the season. So he's out for the year with the elbow injury. Drew Brees is out for at least a month. Um, that's like 17% of the starting NFL quarterbacks. Uh, where do you want to start with these injuries? I, I, the, some of the, the, the luck in the Foles thing are well documented here, and the Jets stink. But So I guess we're down to the Big Ben and Breeze thing. What do we do with teams where they just lose guys that are among the highest caliber quarterback that there are? Like, Do we just need to like kind of just write these teams off, like Bridgewater and Mason Rudolph good enough? What are your thoughts here on what we do sort of – with the projections on Saints and Steelers going forward. Well, Tidwater was terrible. Like, as someone who was sweating down those Alvin Kamara points, like, he was just taking 10-yard sacks. He was, you know, just looked totally lost. I, I was worried for his health out there. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with that Saints offense going forward because it's kind of gotten by on the past, and Breeze being just one of the all-time precise passers, right, and having great pocket awareness, which is incidentally what leads to a lot of those 
Kamara catches out of the backfield, right? Like the first and second reads break down. He finds Kamara. Kamara gets us, you know, 8 to 12 yards or whatever, and that kind of adds up over time. Uh, the fact that Breeze went down and Kamara wasn't very involved was startling to me and terrifying. And yep. I don't see how you can justifiably play anyone in that offense going forward um, until we see, like, some definitive evidence of them being able to move the ball. Uh, like, just because you don't have to, right? Like, there's just no reason to force it. And likewise, on the Steelers' side, um, it, it looked like Juju was still functioning pretty well. In fact, he, he was kind of doing a little bit more uh, once Ben went down. But James Connors, the other guy, uh, we were kind of tempted to go back to the well on this week. And the Steelers have just had so much trouble running the ball. And I can't imagine that Ben going down will make it any easier. So, uh, yeah, both both teams, not that they're full-on write-offs, especially for big tournaments, but at least to start right now, I'm going to be in total wait-and-see mode here. Yeah, the only guy, the one interesting, I'm pretty much with you. On the Kamara thing, it's real bad. It just makes the Saints so much worse. And when you're a worse team, the running back situation gets cloudy. The, right, the wide receiver one, I'm a little less willing to write. Well, Michael Thomas just ended up getting 13 targets in that game and did convert for 10. No, I just had it in front of me. Uh, 10 for 89, no touchdowns. So the conversion rate for him was still pretty good. But Breeze only played nine snaps. So most of those targets were from, uh, were from Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, is that enough to convince you that maybe Thomas, maybe the fact they're going to need to pass more, or it's just kind of like a first game thing, and whenever these quarterback swaps, like is that is that conversion rate good enough for you to maybe keep Thomas in and around there because he's still he is an elite wide receiver. They walk into a decent matchup this week. Does that does the conversion rate on that change your mind at all about that? Not really. I mean, Thomas was already not showing up in our lineups with Breeze as the quarterback, and he's still similar prices. So when you plug in. Like, I think it's your point about Kamara applies to Thomas, too, where if the offense is just worse, you're going to see a lot more games where people get 13 targets but can't get in the end zone. Um, the offense just looked awful with Bridgewater under center. So the fact that, you know, Thomas was still able to do a little something is reassuring, I guess, like if you have him in season-long fantasy. But I wouldn't be messing with this situation until I just see some—I I just don't see why. Why would I need to have Thomas in my lineup, especially in another week with no buys? Like— it just doesn't make sense to me. So I think we take a wait and see in week three. And, you know, if he goes out there and has 14 targets, which, again, won't be the same quality as Breeze targets, but if he has 13, 14 targets again, you know, maybe we're in business. But uh, right now, I'm not going to mess with it. Yep, I think I basically agree. They don't get a great matchup here this week against Seattle. They're underdogs going on the road to Seattle. So it's just kind of one of those situations that makes – some of the other contextual pieces also just make it a little easier to avoid. So I think I'm with you. It's just like, it's just when I see that the target share is still there, it's mostly the conversion rate because you can always get targets from bad quarterbacks. It's just getting the passes you know, delivered into a, a catchable place is sometimes the problem. So the fact that Thomas is so good at that, I, I think that that was the only thing that kind of made me think, because he was a guy that I think on these DraftKings prices was possibly creeping around, but we're still we're still waiting on for some information. So, so the Breezen uh, Roethlisberger thing, I, I'm kind of out on the Steelers. Steelers, they're going. They, they traded for Minka Fitzpatrick from the Dolphins today, which is like a weird move because they gave up a first round pick, even though they're going to play the rest of their season without their starting quarterback. So that's a little bit weird. It makes you kind of question where things are going there. But either way, uh, the two quarterbacks are out. The, the Jets look terrible. They brought in Falk. Um, I don't think the Darnold thing is going to matter, except that the, those guys, we can probably just write that team off across the board. There were other injuries coming out of week one. A lot of wide receivers, some wide receivers went down. Let me roll through some of these guys, and you tell me, um, you know, how we're going to, well, okay, how we're going to adjust some things. So first off, Michael Gallup is out for an extended period of time now. 
Uh, he, I think he had a meniscus thing. He, had a, he, was, a, he was leading the team in targets uh, last week. He had eight targets, uh, went out late in the game. Devin Smith stepped up. How do you want to – how we redistribute the targets here? Do we just see, like, Cooper? Like, do we go overboard on guys like Cooper and Cobb? Do we see Zeke getting more targets? We are going to talk about Zeke here shortly. Um, how do you want to – how do you want to redistribute a guy like Gallup who really was emerging as maybe one of the focal pieces of the offense and he's going to be lost now for an extended period of time? Yeah, I think it's sensible to look down the line and, and see what they've done when Gallup wasn't in this role in the past. And, you know, by and large, that was Amari Cooper. Uh, we did see Smith go out there and have a long touchdown catch, but he only had three targets still. So I don't know that we want to just immediately assume that he's going to step right in. Um, I think that Randall Cobb, you mentioned, he had six targets, converted them into 24 yards. And I think, not that we would assume that he'll get four yards per target going forward, but he's not going to be replacing Gallup's downfield ability. I really think that's going to be Amari Cooper. So, um, yeah, I think Cooper is a very reasonable play going forward here. Um, where, where, would you, where do you think we'd land on targets? Well, he only had five last week. I think I had him somewhere. Just, I like to throw this out there because you know, this is where we sort of make our bones is the opportunity. I think we're pretty good. Uh, we'll talk about Danny Amendola shortly. But I think we're pretty good about figuring out opportunity for, for uh, uh, just really team by team and especially redistributing opportunity. I think actually it's funny. I think we got good at this because we did it so well. And we do it so well in basketball as well. It's like just like this trained thing that we're really pretty good about figuring out where this stuff goes because basketball is important to do this as well. Um, I have him at eight targets right now. Does that seem like a reasonable number for Cooper? I have him at eight and Cobb at seven, and I did take up Zeke a little. Does those seem like reasonable numbers to you, or could you see that eight being low for a guy like Cooper now that they've lost such a big piece of the offense? No, eight was the exact number that came to mind for me. Uh, that would put him on pace. Like if he had eight targets a game for the entire season, that would be 128 targets over the course of the year. That's a lot. Uh, you know, many most receivers won't get anywhere near that many. So, yeah, I think eight's very reasonable. Um, I'd also probably tick up Jason Witten maybe a target too. Uh, they used him in the end zone again. He caught all four passes thrown his way. Yeah, I, I think eight's totally fine. And I, I think, you know, one thing we see time and time again when receivers go down, I do think we see a, people often overreacting to this and yes. assuming that those targets are going to get redistributed to guys that we already know. But the reality is that a lot of times guys like Amari Cooper, Jason Witten, um, Randall Cobb, you know, they're already inhabiting a space in the offense right and so some other guy going down it doesn't mean that they're not going to just like put a different wide receiver in that guy's spot right <laughs> and like right. oh well now we only have three guys who can catch passes no they're gonna give someone like you know whoever Blake Jarwin or Devin Smith or one of these guys you know more snaps it could lead to more targets it could not it could lead to more runs for Elliott and Tony Pollard who was pretty effective on, on the touches he got so yeah I'm not going to overreact to this I think it's very different you know, like when a team like the Steelers loses Antonio Brown, let's say, uh, that's a very different situation than the Cowboys losing Mike Gallup. So, yeah, I'm going to keep this in mind, but I'm not going to overreact, hopefully. The reason I'm spending a little bit of extra time, too, on Dallas this week is because they're just going to play the Dolphins. And the Dolphins, for all intents and purposes right now, are just a, a college team. I mean, I thought the 18 and a half point, the closing 18 and a half point line for the Patriots last week was just nuts because that was the highest line that we'd seen in the last four years. This week is Dallas minus 21 and a half. Um, these are lines that you just simply don't see in the NFL. Like I, I, for instance, we had multipliers set up for basically every line. I think I mentioned this last week, and I had to just add some new constraints to have it go. I originally just capped it at 18 before because I was like, well, these lines never get to this high. 
then we kind of t- had to just go for a constraint that just goes anything beyond 18 because 21 and a half is just simply not something that never happens. Um, so two questions about this. One is, you know, how do we value Zeke going into this week? He looked like he was getting very close to just full Zeke usage and go, uh, last week. So that's one thing. So there's going to be two questions. And the second one is, do we just go through the rest of the season just paying whatever it takes to just play defenses against, uh, against the Dolphins? The Patriots returned two pick sixes last week. They basically it looks like they're going to get shut out every week. So what are your thoughts here on running back defense going into this game against the Dolphins, who might just be the worst team ever? <laughs> not the hyperbole and overreaction hour, folks. Um, yeah, I mean, Zeke already uh, was back to old That's not Zeke. an Well, hold on a second. This is not an overreaction, dude. Like, they're on, well, I'm saying this. They're well on pace to have being outscored by the absolute most in NFL history. Well, I get it. I, I mean, again, you don't want to – this is always the problem with prorating. I think I texted you early in the beginning of the baseball season and let you know that Chris Davis was on pace for 80 home runs. You know, it's like you can't just do the whole, these guys are going to have a negative 800 point differential by the time the season's over. If they do, then I'll, I'll happily eat my hat. But um, agree that they're a terrible team. We can we can certainly agree on that point. Um, I wonder if it's some of it's a little bit of overreaction. Like we got the, you know, the Ravens breaking Lamar Jackson out. And then we had this historic Pats team, likely, that walloped them in week two. I think the three-touchdown line is ridiculous, personally. I, I think you're getting pretty good value betting the Dolphins side there, but, you know, don't take my word for it. Uh, as for can we play the Cowboys, I say the answer is of course. I mean, I think Zeke especially. Like, if you don't want to mess with the passing game, Zeke had 25 touches in this game, which is just old Zeke territory. And... You know, they were winning this game. They weren't destroying the Dolphins by any, or the, the Redskins necessarily. And Tony Pollard still took a whole series away from him, too. So, you know, heaven forbid this game should stay close. Even if it's like a 10 point game, 15, 20 point game, I think you'll see Zeke in for 20 carries. The Dolphins can't stop anybody. They never have the ball themselves because their offense is so bad. So, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think Zeke is a great play now. All right, let's talk a, a few more injuries just to take note of. Some, these are a little bit less definitive going forward. Alshon Jeffrey looks like he's going to miss some time. He and Deshaun Jackson both left the game early mm. for the Eagles, so that's two-thirds of their you know, starting wide receiver core. Jackson, it looks like Alshon is a little more hurt than Jackson, so we're going to need to just probably wait on word for that. I'm going to hold off to the game-by-game podcast because I think we'll have uh, some we'll have some more information when, it, when, it, when we finally get there. Uh, and the other one was uh, the KC running back situation. Both LaShawn McCoy and Damian Williams left the game for the Chiefs. Uh, a little unclear about how hurt either of these guys are right now. So just kind of just look kind of tallying up the injuries and with the ones that really have are going to have some fantasy impact. The KC running back situation really could be important when we get down uh, when we get down close to, to game time. And I usually this stuff sorts itself out by later in the week. So it's just some things that we're going to want to really keep an eye on. Uh, those That running back situation could could change the entire landscape of the week depending on where those guys land. Let's talk about some stuff that stood out to us. Um, we had a good week on FanDuel for cash games, not so good of a week on DraftKings. We can, where do you want to start in terms of uh, things that stood out to you? Do you want to talk a little bit about our lineups and thing, in places where we think we – went well or went didn't or didn't go that well you can kind of lead us off here in, in thoughts on week two sure um so i think you wanted to talk about our process i believe going into the week and some of our more controversial decisions like how we landed on a few off chalk plays uh some of those worked out really well uh like larry fitzgerald on FanDuel. some of them didn't work out as well like danny amendola on DraftKings. um 
and I think that they're, these are actually an interesting two guys to bring up in tandem with one another because, um, yeah, so I'm just going to break down kind of the where we where I feel like our process was better on the play that worked out and worse on the play that didn't. Uh, so starting with Fitzgerald, uh, he's a guy that was coming off a 13-target week in week one with a new quarterback and a guy with plenty of track record in the past on this team uh, in a different offense, obviously, now that they have Kingsbury there. But um, there was a lot of track record there, and the price was really cheap. And so I think our thought process going into that was the floor on this guy can't be terrible, basically. You know, what we saw when the going was getting tough, uh, they were leaning on Fitzgerald, and, you know, that one worked out really well. Amendola, on the other hand, you know, we saw a lot of targets in week one, but we forgot about how new wide receivers on new teams, it just doesn't always work out that they're just going to be, you know, plug and play, and they're just going to get in there and, you know, do the same thing every single week. So, uh, and, the, and the Lions, rather, they do have a more erratic track record of, uh, not more than the Cardinals, but they have one of the more erratic track records in the past in terms of sustaining uh, wide receiver production. So um, I would, you know, pat us on the back for being off chalk on Fitzgerald. I, I think, you know, he's a, he's rising up people's boards in terms of overall wide receiver value. And, you know, I'll take our knocks on Amendola too, because I think they're potentially were some process issues there but I'm curious to know what you think um aside from you know patting ourselves on the back for getting Fitzgerald's targets right do you think we were wrong in our process on Amendola would you run it again if we had the same information what do you think yeah I mean the same information I'd do it again because we didn't have this new information the the good news on Amendola is the snaps were essentially the same like the snap share ended up being there just the targets weren't there so I don't know if he was just drawing more king in the slot Desmond King in the slot or if and that just wasn't opening up because he did uh, Stafford did look you know guys like Marvin Jones caught a long touchdown uh, Galladay I believe caught a touchdown as well so um, I don't want to go nuts and just be like well damn Hamadol is a one target guy going forward I don't think that's the case either I just don't think you know we've learned pretty quickly now that it's just not going to be a Julian Edelman kind of situation where you know he just gets every dink and dunk pass um, it just ends up being somewhere in between I think that the price was so cheap for how many targets he got that for DraftKings PPR, this is just just the guy you want to start, right? Like this is like that cheap tight end, basically that you. That's basically the kind of prices you were paying. So I, I can't kill us too much for it. It was really disheartening when I saw what the ownership was on him, uh, just because that's just really not where people went. Another wide receiver situation that I'm wondering your thoughts on while we're on the topic is the KC the KC situation. So people had. Uh, People had sort of touted Michael Hardman as a guy that you could kind of look to to fill in this Tyreek Hill slot. Demarcus Robinson, I feel like, was talked about a little less. And then Sammy Watkins was a crazy chalk play as well. How do you want to break down? Because it, it, well, it ends up being Robinson was the play of the day. He caught six for six, 172 and two touchdowns. Played 69 of the 70 offensive snaps. Sammy Watkins played 70 snaps. Watkins, though, still had 13 targets. Hardman had the same amount of targets, but less of less uh, less yards, and you know, without the two touchdowns, he did score a touchdown. How do you view the Chiefs' wide receiver situation now? Because it's clear they're going to keep throwing. They play Baltimore this week again. They have the highest implied total of the week, so or no, second highest. The, the Cowboys have it have the highest. But where do we? How do we want to kind of break down the opportunities slash the upside for this wide receiver core? Because it's still the Chiefs, and they've shown that they can just kind of turn anybody into a viable wide receiver. Yeah, so the the thing about Chiefs wide receivers is they often break the rules uh, that we have for other wide receivers. And, you know, we might look at yeah. a guy like DJ Shark, let's say, and we'll say, ah, well, who, you can't just catch a 60-yard touchdown every week, you know. But the thing is, you sort of can when Patrick Mahomes is your quarterback. So uh, yeah. that's why I'd be more bullish on guys 
uh, like Hardman and Robinson going forward. Um, you know, six targets from Mahomes when he's already demonstrated an ability to put the ball in your hands is, you know, pretty darn good. I will say that it looked like in this game, you know, that the Raiders were basically ready for the plan to be Watkins. He still did get a lot of targets, but, you know, seeing double coverage and, and just sort of had a hard time really getting established in the same way that he has in the past when Hill has been out. I still do think he's plan A. I think that he's, you know, almost unquestionably the most talented wide receiver in this receiving core here. So, yeah, I'm definitely not just going to throw throw it all away on him now like and just say, oh, forget it, Watkins was bad one week, so I'm off it now. Uh, I actually think he'll be a value going forward based on the sort of lackluster production. And I don't think, you know, if you're going to sign Mahomes up for four passing touchdowns a week, which actually isn't unreasonable, then uh, I think Watkins gets one of those on balance. And then all of a sudden that play is looking a lot better. So, yeah, I mean, as you're looking at prices, you know, these these guys like Hardman and Robinson still very cheap. But, yeah, I, just, I don't necessarily think you're getting the same safety from them that you would be from Watkins. Yeah, Watkins is a must-play for me in cash going into this week, I, I think. Um, just the 13 targets again. Now, again, they don't have a great matchup. The Baltimore, the Ravens' defense is good, and we could be running into the same situation. But I'll easily take these 13 targets, uh, you know, just doubled those two other guys that we said So in, in the same amount of And from of Mahomes, 13 targets from Mahomes. That's, like, the best situation you can be in as a wide receiver, basically. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I, I this one's kind of a no-brainer for me, I think. Um, famous last words, and things can change by the end of the week if we have some other things coming. But the fact that he's, he's 6,800 on DraftKings, and he's, I think, 7,100 on FanDuel, he's already showing up in 100% of our very early lineups. When you're showing up like this, at these prices on this opportunity, I and the, by the and the opportunity is less than what he's received in the first two weeks. Um, he's he's averaging 12 targets a game. We have him for less than that, so I think that we're going to be looking at 100% Watkins again. It will be interesting to see how other people view this kind of game if they're if they see this as well. He underperformed because like because here's the thing: he was overwhelming chalk, and a lot of people were going to be very disappointed. Like that he was on everyone's radar and disappointed everybody. And some uh, my guess is smart DFS people will not really care and just go back to the well. And other people who are very results-oriented or short, have just short-term biases will look at it and say, well, I'm not getting burned by that guy again. And that's, I feel like that's just going to be great news for us. So um, any, every, I think my, my gut is that every percentage that Watkins isn't owned this week on either site is an advantage that we're getting. If you're headed to a game this year and you need tickets, there's only one place to go, and that's Vivid Seats. It's super easy. You go to the App Store, download the Vivid Seats app. You use the promo code OVERTIME, that's O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E, and you save up to $100 on all ticket purchases, first-time customers only. Once again, Vivid Seats, use the promo code OVERTIME. It's that easy. Get tickets, go to the game. You won't regret it. Other uh, performances that stood out to you this week, um, I, I think we've covered most of the injuries at, uh, here, uh, and I think we kind of covered some of the other big games, like we talked about the Marcus Robinson, but was there another kind of situation that stood out to you in week two? Uh, do you want to talk about the lineups more, or you can kind of pick where we're headed? Thanks, buddy. I appreciate all this trust you're putting in me this week. Uh, well, I have a I lot of thoughts. To... I do want to say I have a lot of thoughts about some of these quarterbacks, but I'm kind of saving some of this because, uh, like, there are some performances okay. that, like, that I that that's kind of why I'm putting in you because I'm I'm really trying to avoid the part where I kind of get I'm already going probably too much into week three than I want to. So I kind of you're usually good about grounding it back into sort of some of the performances that we that we saw. 
Yeah, so I would say uh, I'd like to I'd like to go position by position doing this kind of thing. Uh, I did yeah. think running back was pretty interesting this week um, in that we got some affirmation of some guys that are clear bell cows now, uh, like Dalvin Cook, you know, who I wanted to take a little time on going into the season. I think we can sort of rest assured that he's beyond the guy in Minnesota right now, uh, 23 touches for 191 total yards and a touchdown, uh, just a clear, you know, running back one, and you know with basically very few peers at this point uh you know i put like zeke in his category and there's not a whole lot of other player running backs maybe saquon uh, i put mccaffrey and i put mccaffrey in that group too true 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 Uh, but now that we've lost um you know not lost kamara but kamara takes a big ding down i think if you were redrafting season long fantasy leagues cook would be a clear uh top five pick so uh, there's that but and actually, I think Eckler is another guy who, you know, thing, even with things not totally going his way in this game, still amassed 123 yards and a touchdown. Could have had one more, uh, you know, if he didn't fumble on the one-inch line. So <laughs> so I, I think we still have Eckler up in that group, too. But I'm curious to know your thoughts on Aaron Jones. You know, you were really high on him going into the season, uh, and you were very terrified about him after the Week 1 game against Chicago. He comes out here, 23 carries, 116 yards four catches for 34 yards. Is he back in that sort of first round season long draft value for you going forward? Cause you, you're not really paying those prices for him right now. Yeah. I know you don't read this, but I actually tweeted, I made one, I sent one tweet out today from our, our DFSR account. And it was actually about Aaron Jones. And okay. it was this, it was Aaron Jones touched the ball 29 times uh, in week two, which is a, a crazy amount, but he only out snapped Jamal Williams, 43 to 35. So he, he basically touched the ball something. I can't remember the exact number. I just do the, I can do the math real quick. Uh, 29 divided by 43. I think it was 60. It was like almost 70, 70%. Let's go. 60, 60. He touched the ball 67% of his snaps. That is just doesn't happen, right? Like that is just, that's a completely unsustainable number. So I'm of two minds. The first is you love to see. These are kind of not the 23 and six is, is, is elite for anybody. But I was expecting him to be in this sort of trend toward this group of guys that were like this, and it really didn't happen week one. And I really don't think, based on the snap count, that it's sustainable. So I just don't know. I, I don't want to be crazy bullish on his, on his opportunity here because I'm just when I just look at the snap count and how much he touched the ball in those snaps, it feels like every single thing went right for him in a way that just isn't going to happen week-to-week basis if this is still the plan about how much he's going to be on the field. So, you know, they, there were 74 offensive snaps. He played in 43 of them. So that's just not, it's just not enough, I don't think. It's just not enough to, it's just not enough field time for this guy. And I just don't want to go crazy on him. And even small, slight tick ups, ticks up in his opportunity is sort of putting him in some lineups because you're right, he is still coming pretty cheap. Uh, I don't know. Does that make sense? I I, I'm, I'm really high on the guy. I want this guy. I want to play this guy a lot. And I just really am distrustful that he's just not going to see the field enough. I don't know. This season we're seeing sort of a trend to guys, you know, running backs that are on the field, not full-time, still getting more, more action than you would think based on the snap counts. I think, you know, my position on snap counts is that it's more important for wide receivers rather than running backs because typically when a running back gets the ball, that was the plan all along. And so... You know, let's say that he got no targets because sometimes targets can come from, you know, when other plays break down. If you only knew that he was going to get 23 carries on the 43 snaps he was on the field, that still just means that was the plan, right? So if they wanted Jamal Williams to get those carries, they could just put him on the field instead. So I still think uh, ticking him up is very reasonable here. Uh, Yeah, I agree that you can't count on him getting two thirds of all the snaps 
like all the snaps that he plays, he's not going to touch the ball two thirds of the time for obvious reasons. But I still think you can tick him up, and I, I still maybe I'm now <laughs> maybe our roles are reversed, and I'm more bullish on him than you are now. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. I Look, I've met for 15 carries, four and a half targets. That feels like the absolute high end of what I'm willing to do. Now, the, the good news is, one, he's already a good play. They're seven and a half point favorites, home favorites against Denver this week. So that's really right where we want to stick our running backs. And I don't know. I just This is why I just have a few reservations about it. I wish that just the Jamal, Jamal Williams wasn't there. I wish they didn't love him. I wish it would just be a two to one split. Even that would be good enough for me. Like, you know, like, 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 the, like the Marlon Mack kind of situation you get where he just – you just kind of know when he's on the field and when they're winning that they're just going to get a lot of those carries. I'm just, I'm still just so worried about it. And we've seen, like, the, when he gets these carries, the guy is pretty, he's a pretty damn electric runner. And the fact that he's catching the ball too. So I don't know. I feel like I should, look, I have him on my season long team too because I was pretty high on him. And I'm happy with the results. And I'm just a little bit wary of the, I'm just a little bit wary of just how much time he's in the field. But I made, I guess I've made that pretty clear. Uh, other other performances, you know, we did any of the running backs that stood out to you. Le'Veon Bell got a ton of touches. The team stinks. I don't know, Sony Michelle, maybe too many cooks in the kitchen. Nick Chubb got a lot of carries, but they were without Dontrell Hilliard this week. Any of these other guys, people played Josh Jacobs. I was so glad that people did. I just don't didn't get it at all. Any of these guys stand out to these guys you want to talk about? Yeah, one other guy who was a chalk play who had, let me see here, the second most rushing yards on the day in spite of having just 12 carries, was Matt Breida. Um, oh, yeah. I saw, this is such a befuddling situation for me. So, yeah, 13 touches for 132 yards. You're like, geez, this guy's the second coming of, like, Barry Sanders on a good day, you know? Right. Uh, and then you're like, oh, but then Rasheem Mostert came in and had more fantasy points than him because uh, Mostert winds up out-touching him on the day and just being completely nuts on his carries. Mostert had 151 total yards on, let's see here, 16 total touches. So um, I don't know how, and then Jeff Wilson Jr. also had 10 carries and punched in two touchdowns too. I'm sure much to everyone's absolute amazement looking at this game. Now, <laughs> there was a lot going on in this game. Um, I will say that Breida was clearly the guy, you know, coming out of the locker room as this game began, Breida was clearly the running back, right? This game got absolutely out of hand in a hurry. You know, they were up 24-10 at halftime. They were up 34-10 at the end of the third quarter. And a decent amount of that running, and especially the touchdowns, came when the game was basically over. So um, so what's your take on the San Francisco running back situation here? Are we worried, like with Wilson, he did punch in that second quarter touchdown. Are we worried that this is just a full-on timeshare right now between potentially three guys? Or can we play? are these guys playable for cash going forward? This whole this whole team is a disaster. I, I don't know what to do with the whole the, add the wide receivers to the mix too in terms of like who who do you Kittle. play for this oh. team? Kittle three targets. Uh, I know he didn't. I know Jimmy G didn't pass a lot. He only threw twenty five times. But there, man, I, like he wasn't. He didn't even Kittle didn't even play a lot. Like Kittle was on the field for like I don't know, two, not even two thirds of the overall snaps. I, again, I, I'm with you that the game got out of hand and they probably just were saving it because they were running these guys. Jeff Wilson was on the practice squad a week ago. They brought him up after the Tevin Coleman injury and he ends up getting two touchdowns. The target shares are all over the place. Debo Samuel had seven. No one else had more than four targets. They threw all over the place. The good ones. And they had some long touchdowns and long plays and that kind of did throw off some of the probably the play calling stuff. I, this whole team is in a void for me in terms of cash, I think. I don't think you can trust any single piece of it. Kittle included, I don't know. I get that Kittle was historic last year. That was with a different quarterback. I know that he had, um, I know that he had a good target share in week one as well. I just don't know how you can be confident in any single piece of this offense right now from a fantasy perspective, just seeing and how 
many different guys get to do cool stuff in the, in the offense. It must be fun. It must be fun when you get on the field like and, you're, and the, the ball starts coming your way because it seems like every single guy just puts up yards when they get it. But uh, the whole team is, is basically a void for me. I don't want to see a single San Francisco 49er until like two guys get hurt and they're just left with nobody else. And then it doesn't even matter. They'll get some guy from Home Depot to come and be the running back. I don't know. Like, I, just, I, I, think, the, I think the whole thing is an avoid for me going forward. I, I, don't wanna, I definitely don't want to play Kittle. I, the three targets in yeah, a game I like this, I, I, you just, with the amount of other, the other tight ends that are kind of exist around the periphery now, I just don't know how you can pay sort of top-end prices for a guy like Kittle at this point when you can play like Mark Andrews at the same price. I, I get maybe that's me being just correcting too much or just uh, just being too short-term oriented, I, I'm not really sure. I, I think I'm fine with it because the, the San Francisco has just shown that they just like, every single guy gets to play. It's like a, some kind of like I don't know, rec league team where they have a participation thing. I don't know, whatever. I'm going too long with it. That's my feeling on the 49ers. Okay, fair enough. Uh, yeah, so otherwise running backs I thought were fairly, you know, not that they were like predictable, but like you said, some of the names you were seeing, Chubb, uh, Zeke, Barkley, you know, running back tends to continue to settle in here. I will say that, you know, the top-end running backs continue to be very top-end. Uh, the not-so-top-end running backs, very, very hit or miss. So it'll be interesting to see where we kind of settle in uh, going into week three here. Uh, heading over to wide receiver, you know, we obviously hit on some of the, the flash in the pan guys. I will note that there were three guys among the top four guys in terms of fantasy scoring that were more predictable, which was like, such a relief. Uh, we saw Julio Jones, uh, Odell Beckham, and Chris Godwin uh, be three of the top four scoring wide receivers this week. Just a nice, just want to point out that there's a nice return to sanity there. But what about Emmanuel Sanders? So Sanders goes out there. Uh, he was targeted 13 times, 98 yards receiving, did have the touchdown as well. Are, is, it, is it a throwback to 2014? Is Emmanuel Sanders a playable fantasy option? I mean, we've seen him be pretty good when he gets high quality targets in the past. And he's going to be a lot less expensive than some of these other big names. Uh, what do you think about him right now? Yeah, I mean, seven targets week one, 13 last week. Cortland Sutton had out-targeted him in week one, eight to seven. He had a good game. Um, still has Joe Flacco as his quarterback, which is always going to be sort of a problem. Now, the good news is... Yeah, but think Denver, about his quarterbacks that he's had for the last four years. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I was going to say Denver... I was The next thing I was going to say was Denver looks like they're going to be playing from behind most of the season. So that just seems like it's going to be ripe for opportunity in terms of overall... Tar just overall raw targets, which is a good, which is good news. He's a guy that was kind of creeping around. I just I, some of these I, I don't know. I just I, if I sound like I'm wavering on some of these guys that you're mentioning, it's good. Or, excuse me, it's not good. It's because I just need to maybe see it for another week, and maybe that's just a silly way to go about it. Because 4,800. Well, I want to know who you're going to play that has a track record of two weeks of success. Then, because if we can't go on one week of success. I'd like to know who the two-week successful wide receivers are. John Ross? Yeah, well, this is... is he the guy? <laughs> the <laughs> Tyler, Tyler, Tyler Boyd, who went 10 for 10? I don't know. It's just, I like it's, Tyler it's, Boyd. It, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so do I. Uh, there are... I do feel like there's some of these other guys. Uh, I think that we can probably probably just find some value in terms of maybe middle tier or like lower upper tier guys like Keenan Allen, because I'm, I'm much mm. more trustful of playing guys like, like Allen and Watkins at 7,000 and 6,800 than a 4,800 Emmanuel Sanders. Because I just feel like I know what I'm getting. I know I get, I get, I'm paying for the safety, and maybe that's going to come at the expense of not being able to play McCaffrey, Zeke, and somebody else. Because, And I think that's what we're going to end up probably yeah. discussing on the Cash Game podcast is where the real safety lies. And I think that maybe is the, the reason I'm wavering on some of these other guys because if I'm going to just now disagree with myself, I'd say Sanders probably is the more logical play if it allows me to get 
that top tier group of running backs, which we mentioned uh, later, late in the week last week, is saying this might be the theme: is grabbing these guys that yeah. are just going to have the opportunity. McCaffrey, Zeke, Saquon, kind of, but that team is so bad that I'm just that might be it might need to just be out on him because the, the team is just so dreadful. Uh, but they're, they're, that that other group is so small. And the wide receivers we've seen, the variance around some of these targets can be so wide that in a way that it just isn't around the running backs, that maybe the guys like Emmanuel Sanders are just going to be the play. And just and you got to live with the fact that maybe it's going to be six targets the next game if things aren't going yep. right. Because it's not going to be – that's just simply not going to be the case with McCaffrey. I, I know I keep saying these names over and over again, but that group of running backs is so small and so yeah. freaking elite that I just feel like it's worth it. Eckler's kind of pushing toward that group too and probably Cook as well. So – I don't well, know. One thing I think... that's clear to me is that you don't the, the exact place you don't want to be is on the highest end wide receivers. Like you don't want to be in the Odell Beckham, Julio Jones category because not only are you spending at the absolute max, you're still getting plenty of variance, and then you have to go in that mid range of running backs, which is also very erratic. So I think I think that Keenan Allen group, like you described, I mean Allen 15 targets last week, turned it into 98 yards, no touchdowns, which is kind of like a Keenan Allen special there, but that's still. That's still very, very re- plenty reliable production, I guess is what I'll say. Um, and we just know yeah, because, that these big name guys can they can absolutely just come and go on you. So, like so, for instance, Keenan Allen and Sammy Watkins are the seventh and ninth most expensive uh, wide receivers in DraftKings, right? Like so, for guys that I, we have raw point projections as high as that group that you mentioned before. So I think that like there's that that's why it's going to probably end up becoming a real close question is that. That those guys who are, even though they seem kind of expensive, it, it appears as if you're kind of getting crazy value on both of those guys. And they don't seem unlikely to totally kill you, although we just saw for Watkins that he kind of did. So I don't know. Uh, this is going to be, I think we're going to wrestle with some of this on the cash game side of things, which we'll have a podcast out about that tomorrow. Uh, we'll have a game by game breakdown as well. Uh, finishes off with any any just quick tight ends you want to mention here. Any final wide receivers before we get out of here? I think we're going to end up discussing them. probably anything we miss right now. We're going to end up discussing on the next two podcasts anyway. So I'm not totally worried about it. But was there <laughs> anything you're really pressing that you saw from week uh, week two? Uh, yeah, just a quick tight end note. Um, I will say Zach Ertz. You know, I think he, especially with all the injury situation in Philly right now, he had 16 targets last week, and yeah. I think he's vaulted firmly into that conversation of cash game tight ends as well. He's probably my favorite big money tight end going forward. Um, Kelsey, nine targets again. He was solid. You know, you mentioned Mark Andrews. He's converted 17 of the 18 passes thrown his way uh, and been absolutely great for Jackson this season. Um, You're still getting, you know, if you think that this is just who he's going to be going forward, then you're still getting a slight savings there too. Uh, And then Darren Waller, who was a a chalk-ish option uh, with Antonio Brown now out of the picture in Oakland, he was solid too. So I think actually tight end, this is kind of crazy to say, uh, and I noticed you said this in the chat in our DFSR members only chat leading up to lock last week. Um, there are like a lot of tight ends you can kind of play comfortably for cash. So I just want to bask in this. You know, it's like tight ends, t- playing a tight end historically has been kind of like having chapped lips, you know, where you're like just living with it. It's, you know, you can, you can make it through your day, but it's really, really annoying. These days, we don't have chap lips. There's a lot of good tight ends, a lot of different price points. So uh, so enjoy it, people. That's that's what I want to leave you with today. Yeah, and look, they're, they're wide receivers too, and they're just the, the guys you mentioned. Like, Ertz has as many targets this season as Sammy Watkins, as Larry Fitzgerald, right? <laughs> DJ, DJ Moore, the top, he'd be the third, he's the third most targeted player in the NFL this season. And 
tight ends just come cheaper. You know, some of it's a yards issue. They just don't. They, they just simply don't run the routes that are getting them huge yards. So that's part of the reason. But the touchdown equity on some of these guys is as high, if not higher, than those receivers as well. So uh, yeah, I think we're probably just finding more value at that position than we have in the past. Whereas like last year, it was just kind of like, oh my god, like roll the dice with these absolute losers and just hope that just hope they catch a pass and just or that you don't need to text a friend of yours and say, are you watching the game? Is he even on the field? Because I felt like that's kind of the situation we were in. Exactly. Vast major, vast majority of tight ends. It's last the golden year. age for DFS tight ends, my friends. I will say one last thing. I mentioned that the Lamar Jackson upside was you having your cake and eating it too in terms of his ability to throw and run, and we saw that last week as well. So we'll get some of that in the Cash Game podcast. But I felt felt good that the fact that he got out and just running all over the place uh, against the Cardinals last week. There are just there are going to be some teams too, like the Cardinals. I want to talk about in cash game in terms of the pace they're playing. Some of this stuff is, I don't know, we'll see how sustainable it is. So many thoughts. We're going to get out of here. Uh, DFSR.com is the site. DFSR.com slash deals will get you started on our premium projections and optimal lineups powered by our good friends over at Lineup Lab. Uh, you can try it. You can still do that free three-day trial. Or excuse me, I think it's a seven-day trial, but we think you're going to be with us for the long term. So go check that out, DFSR.com slash deals will get you started. Also, a reminder, just rate and review the podcast. That always helps. The numbers have been very good to start the season on our downloads. Much appreciated. So if you don't want to sign up, and you want to do, just do something even a little more free than the free seven-day trial, I don't even know why you wouldn't try that out. Just go rate and review the podcast as well. That helps more the, po- the podcast. Yeah, all free stuff around here. All the podcast climate charts. So we much appreciated. Uh, we'll be back again Wednesday talking uh, cash game p- plays for FanDuel and DraftKings, and then Thursday doing game-by-game breakdown with, for every game, injury news and notes, and where we're looking for GBPs as opposed to cash games. That will be on Thursday. Buddy, enjoy the next 24 hours till we talk again about cash game plays for FanDuel and DraftKings. Woohoo!